Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. Uh, I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me at Strobrawl on Twitter. I'm joined uh, by Liam Poach. Uh, he's at Poacher Rugby on Twitter. And then uh, with uh, Craig Grudelli, columnist uh, at Monday Morning Fly Half. Uh, how's everyone's week been going? Like, I, I guess it's week four, but it feels, in a sense, it feels like it hasn't been week, wasn't four weeks. And, and in the other half of me is like, it's been an eternity. When will the season end? <laughs> Well, it's the end of the ski season, so I'm just I'm kind of emerging back into reality right now. You know, out of the whole ski bum uh, dreamscape that I was living in. Um, but you know, it's it, it's been a pretty good week. It's been weird weather out here in Tahoe. It was like 65 degrees yesterday. Now there's two inches of snow outside. So, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I feel like time has ceased to have any meaning since the pandemic. So I don't know. It, I guess it's been a week since last time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Good stuff. Just moving into a house takes a lot of time. Uh, oh still, yeah, like I hate moving. Forty percent still uh, left to go here before we're fully unpacked and uh, everything's in place. Well, as long as you remember to bring both the kids, Greg. You know, I didn't want, don't want you to forget that you got two now. <laughs> I'll have to check with the wife about that. <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, you know, are you having to unpack everything? Is Jackie running a tight ship, cracking the whip? I mean, she does a lot of stuff. Uh, but, you know, there's just so much to do, and there are two kids to care for. So, uh, I mean, that's like two parents, two kids. We're suppressed. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to unpack. And, uh, are you suppressed or are you suppressed or oppressed? <laughs> so I'll say suppressed. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get stuff done when uh, when you're responsible for a sub two year old human uh, all the time. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's probably it's got to be fun sometimes. I mean, they're just I see the pictures on Facebook. Uh, that you put, um, Jackie puts up with you guys. So I was like, yeah, well, the kids are great. Just yeah. doesn't bode well for unpacking. I, I mainly follow your bulldog, uh, Craig, uh, Lucy McNugget. That's that's my favorite of your of your social media pages. She's also great. She loves the house. She gets a big yard now to run around in. She couldn't be happier. So, like, interesting sort of news in in the rugby space. Uh, obviously, there was a, a quarterfinal that was not played because the Irish government is full of BS. Um, and so I guess after two negative tests, two negative tests, Toulon was still told, uh, you can play this game, but you have to bring in six new front rowers that aren't in your traveling party. And I'm just like, well, this needs to be like the NFL. You just play the game. Like I don't care if you postpone it. I don't care what you do. If that means you tell Leinster to get in a dang plane and go fly to Toulon so you can play this game, and because the Pro 14 was over, so effectively they could do a 10-day quarantine because apparently for elite, it doesn't matter. You'd have to do a 10-day quarantine going back. But the Pro 14s are over, so the only games Leinster has left would be, if they won, would be Champions Cup games. And they weren't right away. So, I don't know. Kind of weird. Um, 
Uh, I guess sort of a cool uh, news story uh, was Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Drua uh, were granted licenses uh, by the overarching sort of Australian and NZ New Zealand super rugby thing. And, but the interesting thing for me with this one is like the Fijian Drua don't even have an ownership group yet. So how do you grant them a license? That's a quick, that's a weird one. Um, I don't know. Any comments, questions, concerns? Exciting. I'm glad, uh, you know, there's a step towards more, you know, professional rugby uh, Islander teams. Uh, hopefully a lot of hakas. I, I love a good haka. So, uh, this leads the way to more hakas. I'll be a happy guy. Yeah, it's, oh. it's, all, it's also going to be big for youth rugby, uh, you know, um, among those islands. So there's going to be better development, uh, you know, for their national teams and, you know, perhaps, you know, more steps towards uh, like their own national professional leagues or some something in that sort of sense. I know it's not exactly a big place to be playing, but, you know, it's, it's all about the development of the game. This sounds like a good step for it. Interesting thing about Hakka is this sort of weird viral like reaction towards cultural appropriation. I really don't care about this because I've seen a lot of African teams that aren't from South Africa, specifically grassroots level. Um, and in the, I think it was in the African gold cup, one of the teams, so not a South African team did a Haka and it like went viral like two years ago via like world rugby social channels. And they're like, Oh, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have this, this time around, um, you have this all African, South African university team that did a haka and they did it like really well. And you have all these white Kiwis being pissed off about cultural appropriation. I thought that was humorous. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into cultural appropriation discussions, but uh, I will say uh, I'm pretty sure when I was in business school, the University of Chicago undergrad team would do a haka. So. <laughs> we, I mean, we did, they were all Samoa. We did, I, I'm guessing since the, all the guys on my team in, in the army on Fort Bliss were uh, you know, like Samoan or American Samoan, I think we did a CP towel like that they wrote. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. All I know is the Haka, like as part of a piece of rugby culture, like really transcends like one culture because of rugby. So I just thought the reaction was kind of weird. Um, but really let's get into some, some footy, right? Um, oh, yeah. So five games this last weekend, uh, there will be six this next weekend. Uh, the first game was LA 43, 16 Toronto. Um, Toronto scored nine points in the first half. And interestingly, it was nine to ten to end the first half, and I think Toronto really did pretty well uh, on attack uh, to just you know to try and generate something. And yeah, they got obviously got penalties, um, and they just were smart taking the sticks. Uh, but what they were able to do on defense uh, was really good because the amount of times that LA got into the the five meter or inside the 22 and they either committed penalties at the rock or Toronto was able to turn the ball over. Hey, Lucas rumble, 10 breakdown steals. Like geez, 
Not not in this game. He just got two more uh, in this game, but he has 10, 10 breakdown steals, which is, I think, through five games last year, Cam Dolan had six or seven. Um, so like we're on pay, we're on a like Lucas Rumble's on a crazy pace uh, for just defensive ruck arrivals, defensive ruck disruption. He really slowed the ball down. Also, Paul Cellini at lock thought he did really well. I think he had like forty ruck arrivals, but he just made things very difficult. Uh, but because LA does what LA does. And I wonder if Gaston Cortez is a card machine. Cause this is his second card in, in they had a buy, right? This is three games. Yeah. They had a buy. Um, this is his second card in three games. And well, guess what? Um, uh, it, during that 10 minute period, I guess nine minutes of it was in the second half. Uh, LA scored 21 points straight. So yeah. that basically yeah. sort of put the like the stake right into the heart of um, Toronto. And obviously when Cortez came back on, they played pretty well, but the, the tempo was going as such that uh, the game was kind of over um, and Toronto on attack squandered a lot of opportunities in the second half, mostly compared to what they were doing in the first half. Uh, I think they're get they are getting better, and I I don't think the scoreline really helped to say Toronto is good or bad, but they are the first team to also hold uh, Los Angeles under fifty points. So, um, oh wow! We, Actually, I don't think they have had a buy right because they they lost the first two to uh, to Utah and Atlanta, then they beat or uh, not Utah Atlanta. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Atlanta, Atlanta, and they, they, they lost the first two and then. Uh, one at um, yeah, one, so old, one and three now. So yeah, I mean, LA plays so fast. You know, you know what it reminds me of. I don't if people remember that game when um, USA played Ireland. Uh, oh, at Red Bull Stadium. I can't. Um, I don't even know where it was. It was. This was. I'm pretty big, sure I was at that game. This is the most recent time they played Ireland. We're like Joe Tafete. So we know. So. Most recent time they played Ireland was in Aviva, and yeah. uh, I think that's what who we got capped that game. No, 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 he didn't get capped that game. Someone, some Irish, uh, no, Tig Leader got capped that game. But I remember watching that game, and USA would put in a noble effort for three or four phases to defend against Ireland attack. But you know, by the fourth, fifth phase, Ireland just moved so fast that the defense couldn't get back up and into shape. Uh, and this that's like what every team playing against LA looks like right now. LA just moves so fast with the ball that three you know, any string of three phases, the defense looks completely overwhelmed. There's huge gaps everywhere. Toronto did an admirable job, but when they went down to 14 people and forget, I mean they just, yeah. yeah, they just could not keep up with the pace of the LA attack and the, and its width. I mean, it's it's so fast and so wide and so many different angles and really uh it's really exposing defenses right now. No, that's a good point to make, uh, Craig. Um, this is one of the few games I was actually able to watch live this week rather than just watching the replays on the Rugby Network, which is a feature that I love. But this game, I, I felt like Toronto was very discombobulated at times. Uh, in the first half, they did they did a good enough job to uh, you know to keep their heads above water and not to let anything get out of control. But that aforementioned twenty one point uh, you know scoring spree by LA. 
it, it wasn't even just after the third or fourth phase, like in they're uh, struggling to keep the defensive shift up. I felt like there was just some sort of, you know, I don't know, disconnect between the players that it was allowing these gaps to just naturally develop and for LA to take advantage of them, which is just kind of expediated their whole, uh, like their line fluidity. Um, and yeah, and LA was able to take advantage. And I just, I just didn't feel like Toronto was there as a cohesive unit in the second half. And, you know, maybe a really tough first half defending that attack again from LA, you know, kind of set them up for that in the second. Moving on um, to our next game. Uh, Austin, uh, they snag one. I know some people, I know, I think, uh, guy who does the glorious rugby, uh, oddball gentleman type dude on Reddit said that per his data, this was not an upset. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, because the game before, uh, Nola beat New York like a drum and, uh, they hadn't uh, – and again, as you can tell by the, the scoreline, the attack still isn't, like, there yet for Austin. But their defense is uh, – Craig, what do you think? I mean, it was, it's intense, uh, clearly. Every, every week they've gone out and put in a, a shift on defense. I, I mean, I, I agree their attack isn't fully there yet, but I will say I thought this week it looked much better. Um, I mean, they, they were moving the ball – LA style, if you will. They, they were quick to the rock. They seemed to be recycling quickly, keeping up the pace. Hi, Rocky. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, keeping up the pace. And, and, like, you know, you just go to the stats of this game. And, I mean, Austin had more carrying meters, more kick meters, uh, you know, 57% of territories. So, I mean, they, their offense isn't, you know, sh- sh- stunning the world right now. But I actually thought this was definitely their best offensive performance as well. Uh, and it always helps when you sh- completely shut the opponent down. So, I mean, maybe the best offense is a good defense, but uh, Nola couldn't get anything going. Um, you know, really com- almost completely opposite of, of how it looks against New York in week uh, week two. Um, yeah, you know, a lot, I, I wrote about this in the column this week, but I, th- I feel like a lot of the attack right now in MLR is going through the scrum half as the primary – leader and director of the attack as opposed to, you know, generally I think you think of the fly half as that person and the scrum half as maybe the secondary, you know, kind of on-field general. And I just feel like Nola is is missing that key right now, and they've been able to do without it this season. Uh, Holden Younger has been the starter for Nola since they came to the league. Uh, You know, Damien Stevens is behind him on the bench right now. He seems to be playing better when he gets in. Um, and I like Holden Younger. I like his attitude. Uh, you know, he's kind of a, you know, he's almost like the face of Nola to me just because he's been there for so long. But uh, you got to wonder if it's not Damien Stevens' time to start there. I, I, I sort of like the idea of, you know, running two different scrum halves in a sense because if you need a change of pace, but I think they need the change of pace in the beginning. Yeah. Like they need to like with the way they went, especially against New York, the once and even um in their first game against DC, it was as soon as Damian Stevens came on, the tempo they played with was just ridiculous. So I would I just want to see Damian Stevens start a game. Yeah. And see like and then Holden comes on for the last 30 and see what the difference is. 
Um, yeah, I mean, even yeah, like you said, even against New York, I mean, it was a pretty close game until Stevens came in. I mean, it's a coincidence, but I mean, they 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 have seemed to pull away when he's been on the field. It wasn't enough this week, though. I mean, they couldn't, they still couldn't crack that uh, that Gilgroni wall. We need yeah. The Gilgronis like, also oh, have my boy Roderick Waters here. You the sea of Gilgronis. We need a, yeah, we need a seawall, sea of Gilgronis, but for Austin. So it's yeah, message in uh, on Facebook here your ideas. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's it was interesting. Uh, On to the third game, which I'll have some comments because you talked about scrum half running the attack, but Liam, um, San Diego uh, went into their get right game, and I guess. Houston found their get-right game. Yeah, know it. And after two double goose eggs, I guess the time was coming. So this, I thought this was Houston's best game of the season thus far. But considering the two aforementioned back-to-back goose eggs the last two weeks, that might not exactly be saying much. Um, but still, win a win is a win against the San Diego team that I still think is brimming with talent, even if it appears that they've kind of lost a step from last season. To put it, is that putting it nicely? Yeah. So in terms of the play on Saturday, my first note is that I love Dylan Odsley at scrum half for the Houston Sabercats. Uh, I thought he Dylan played really Oddsley, Nick Boyer. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally getting my freaking notes. Another yeah. long haired. Uh, no, no, no. He said before the show that he thought Paul Emmerich was on the pitch for San Diego. Yeah. That's what he really <laughs> was talking about. That's how yeah. he got confused. Yeah, no, exactly. So, sorry. Um, I, I, I really love Nick Boyer at Scrum Half for Houston. Um, I thought he played really well with the quick ball and tight windows, uh, which showed up in particular on the team's first try of the match uh, to Dicky Dicky Lottie, DDL, or Double DL. I don't know. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll find something to brand him. But anyway, meanwhile, I like what I'm seeing uh, from San Diego on the long ball. Uh, outside of a few drops, in particular, in particular one that almost cost Clark the try in the second half, uh, if not for a really good recovery on his part. Uh, but I thought it looked really smooth and it really added a whole new element for Houston to defend against. However, I was really impressed with how Houston kind of came together after the past two performances. Uh, their defensive shift, it was able to keep up with San Diego's, uh, you know, aforementioned really good passing. And in return, their offense actually had a few high stakes moves that p- ended up paying off really well. Uh, in particular, like Povey's cross kick to Zach Pangelinen, which set up Frayer, Friar, Frayer, Frayerley. Yeah, sure. Uh, for the try in what was one of the most beautiful sequences uh, in the league all season. Um, it, it was heartbreaking to see Joey P uh, missing the final kick, uh, you know, from a, fran- from a fan standpoint, just because, you know, he's USA rugby legend or, or MLR legend. Let's put it that USA way. USA rugby legend. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Le- MLR <laughs> legend. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> but it was definitely exciting for the fans uh, back home and especially the ones in the stand at Aviva, um, you know, what a way to win! What a way to win a game! You know, slightly shanking it to the left. That's kind of uh, how but, we beat Scotland. I mean, yeah, really. Yeah, legit. So, you and, know, uh, but, uh, honestly, this was like this was my favorite game of the week. Like, this was a really, you know, really, really competitive back and forth match. You know, no team really felt like they were getting pummeled at any point. Uh, or, I mean, well, like I guess there was part of the second half when they were when San Diego was down double j- digits, but um, they came back, made it entertaining. Was almost a draw. And uh, but hey, Houston was able to pull it out. So good performance. They've Houston has now beaten Seattle and San Diego. And if you said that in 2018, 
that would have sounded amazing. But this season, it's like, yeah, good, good. <laughs> well, I mean, so I got, I got some things to say about this. But it was probably – I thought it was the best game of the weekend uh, in part because of the scoring. But I thought penalties were pretty low. I thought they Only 20. They, um, eight, so I mean, eight for Houston, I they 12 played, for San Diego. I thought they played – like both teams played pretty clean, played pretty well. Uh, and – you know, it, it was just – it was a high-quality game, which is not necessarily something we saw out of specifically the the NOLA versus Austin game, which was not a high-quality game um, at all. But for I, for Houston, I, I thought this just the performance, even if they had tied, I guess not lost, but tied, um, they – it would have been something to really just sort of, you know, bang on, hang your hat on because it was a good – uh, good performance, and then obviously you get a little bit of wind or you know a little bit of nerves in, in Joe P, who slots everything, and uh, he sh- you know it just goes a little to the wrong way, and you get the victory uh, as the clock has ticked over eighty. Um, but the one of the things I noticed is you know obviously scrum half seems to have been sort of an issue. I thought Jin Ho Mun had played okay uh, in the first game, and then um, the combo with. Uh, short and Povey at the nine ten really didn't do anything for them. If anything, short basically killed the ball. And um, in this, I'm not saying uh, the most of the touches, if you looked at how this offense worked and I don't know if they were doing anything truly complicated because none, nothing they had really done previously uh, had worked at all, except for, you know, maybe Varamu Dicky Dicky Lottie just plowing over people, which he had done, um, you know, in week one where he had almost 200 meters made, uh, what was it, uh, against – no, not week one, week two against New England. Well, um, Balakala has his own fair share of those instances. Well, Balakana had, Balakana had a really good game here uh, as well. I, the, the way you looked at that offense, just what Nick Boyer kind of gives you, in, in a sense he can give you a lot of what Nate Augsburger did, does a lot around the rock. The difference is, is that – Nick Boyer is is a flanker, basically playing nine. He is a big guy, and he made some try. He made a try-saving tackle in this. Uh, he went into the ruck uh, a lot, and just his service speed and like just his ability and his fitness to get to the breakdown and then pitch balls out was like something that's sort of abnormal. I think we don't really see uh, what he's done. I, I just don't understand generally how he hasn't gotten um been able to solidify a starting spot obviously with los angeles trading him i mean i look at harrison goddard i I get it but at the same time i think they could have been this good with with nick boyer um but the the offense really seemed to like i thought last week uh basically when the first time we saw sam windsor at 12 uh, I sort of felt like he was the only player doing anything, and that's sort of been um, Sam Windsor's not mo, but he's basically been the good, cursed. The one good the cursed as the one good player on that team for uh, or one consistently good player because they've had good players previously, right? But one consistently good player on that team for now four years, and then I thought just the combo with a good nine that could service him uh, at a rapid pace. You had sort of this nine ten effect just with Boyer, and then sort of the ten twelve effect uh, off 
Windsor, and then they were kind of simple with what they wanted to do, get your physical ball runners to just tote the rock and plow through uh, the defense. And then their their defense, you know, it wasn't that good, but it held out um, when it needed to. And just I think it's really good for Houston, and it was something that, uh, you know, they it, it did not look good. Uh, this was a must-win game, um, and sadly they, they're going to run into a buzzsaw um, immediately this week, which we'll get to. Um, but moving on to our next game, um, Seattle versus Utah. This is another game, you know, 20 to 15 Seattle fair play to them. I, I thought the selection was very interesting. Uh, Kieran Joyce is a center that hasn't played 10 much at all. Uh, he's tr- been a traditional center. Um, he isn't a, a kicking 10. So they sort of, they did something interesting. Um, they moved uh, J.P. Smith out to nine, and he's very much a kicking nine. So, and he's played fly half for uh, Seattle in the past. So, moving him out to wing was very interesting. It gives them a, a rangy presence that also has the ability to kick and distribute, um, sort of in like a fourteen twelve channel. Um, but if you watch this game closely. It's similar. The result is similar for Utah. How the game against New England was, they got inside the twenty-two and inside the five so many times, where they just completely screwed up. Um, whether it was in the set piece at lineouts or at the ruck, where they just got turned over. Like their they their ruck, their their support running is a mess. Their ability to just present the ball if they've won the ruck is a mess to where like it literally gets jackaled even though they've sort of won the ruck, they get blown up. And I, I, I don't think that is a, a phrase or cursed problem. I think that is if we run into the previous fitness issues that Utah had in the first two seasons, their, their forwards aren't playing in support of each other, which is a problem. Um, but at the end, of, you still go back to how much ball they had inside the 22 against Seattle, and you're wondering what the heck did you do? And they just screwed up a lot. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad performance, but this was also a game that Seattle had to win, and and they did enough. They they did enough. I thought, um, you know, Riker having had a very good game. Uh, interestingly, Duratalo, who we've seen play at the Ruck a lot previously. But that's he's sort of not that guy anymore. He's not nearly that physical, I think, as a as a breakdown artist or a jackler. But man, can he still run? Man, can he still run? So, and he did that, you know, with like seven carries, a hundred meters, and a tr- meters made in a try. Um, he wasn't invisible at the rock. He had about six breakdown rivals. But uh, when you got guys like Reichard Hatting and and uh, FP Kelzer and Reno Herbst and Nakai Penny, you can sort of use what Durotalo can still do very effectively. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that can score a try every game with how they're using him. Um, Metcher being back in the scrum was very important because I don't think um, – I think that if he wasn't back to start, they would have had significant problems in the scrum this week. But it's a good win for them. And again, they're going now, like with Houston, uh, 
they're going to go run into a team that like is good, but also needs a win in Toronto next week. But I, 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 I look at um, as an American qualified, maybe not American, but an Eagle in Devereaux Ferris in the short sample size that we saw of him last year um, with when Nate Augsburger went out for San Diego. Um, he's a guy that can start at nine, like on most of these teams. So if he stays at nine through the, the rest of the season and they have to use JP Smith somewhere else because he's so versatile, so be it. Like his, his service is really good and his tempo is really good. Um, the issue really is going to be what they have in the centers and at 10. And I think Joyce did enough in this game. The issue for him is you don't want um, Joyce hitting, you know, 15 rucks a game and, you know, making 15 tackles a game. Um, so, but yeah, good win for the Seawolves. Uh, Utah has a bunch of stuff to fix and maybe San Diego is the get right game of the Western conference and, and they'll get to see that pretty soon. Um, but, uh, match five, Craig, your roosters, man, the roosters, I know you ended up picking them. I did, yeah. I did switch to Stuart Brew. After I saw the 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 lineup, I, again, I, I feel like two weeks ago I said I'd never do this, and then in the last two weeks I did it both weeks. But I did switch from Stuart Brew pick to New York. Uh, I mean, I, I just love what they did with the pack versus the first two weeks. They moved Pryor, who had been playing flanker, to eight. Um, they brought Nick Savetta in, who hadn't been available the first two weeks. Uh, and and Bonasso, who's been coming off the bench at lock, uh, but has been running the ball great. Uh, started at six, uh, so I, I thought it was a great shuffle of the pack. Um, so I, I ended up switching my pick to New York. I mean, this was definitely. I, I would say this was the most tactical of the games of this weekend. I mean, both teams were, I thought, really sharp. Uh, you know, kicking for territory, being smart with the ball. It wasn't, you know, like New York had been in previous weeks where they were playing really wild. Uh, and even, I would say, as overall this week, I felt like a lot of the, te- the, the, the theme of the week was almost really quick ball, power running, you know, picking up the tempo. That wasn't really the case in this game. It was a little more thoughtful, uh, a lot more, you know, precise kicking. Dan Hollinshead, who was eventually, you know, picked as player of the week, um, you know, had a great game as fly half for Rooney. Uh, you know, he had a try on a, on a nice dummy, but he also just, you know, corralled a really, a uh, really um, concentrated effort, uses his boot well uh, for territory. Um, you know, I thought Atlanta didn't play poorly per se. Um, I mean, it was, you know, they, they had Jason Dam was working hard in there. Um but, you know, they just couldn't seem to uh, – they couldn't really seem to get anything going. And I think it's because, really, I think Ben Foden uh, was kind of the unspoken hero for New York here where in this tactical battle where both sides were kicking back and forth, Foden was just taking all these balls out of the air, you know, clearing them out of danger. You know, he, he was pretty much error-free and a lot of high-risk uh, aerial in- engagements. Um not to mention he scrum halved for Andy Ellis when Ellis went out with the card. So, I mean, all told, I thought it was, you know, it was a pretty thoughtful, you know, skilled game back and forth. Um, 
And New York just, you know, I feel like Holland's head in New York just outfought Atlanta. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Uh, like the defense that we saw that just basically pummeled San Diego the week before and the attack was sort of working. Um, they, they just weren't able to get anything going, I thought. But And as Kura and Dan basically had to play hero ball, I was very fairly impressed by Xander Van Schalk. Xander Van Skalkvike. Oh my gosh. Uh, and fairly impressed with him starting. I thought he did a job that um, in the past that not that to say I doubted him, but I think that um, he's a guy that, well, he's really small. And I don't mean by height wise. <laughs> he's like 6'3, 140 pounds. Not a, not a pound of, not. Not a pound of fat on his body, like, but he is he is a skinny dude. But you can't mess with the Van Mafia in Atlanta. But he he went out and did a job at wing. Um, but for the most part, that that attack basically sort of runs through Azkura, Um and he had like statistically, if you did not see the game, he had a very good game. But if you saw the game. He made a lot of mistakes in the wrong part of the field, and it led to turnovers. And um, obviously, it led to points. Um, okay, let's, let's get to the yellow, double yellow card. I actually loved this. I loved this because at the end of the day, let's just stop. We're telling people that ruck justice and all this BS is no longer part of the game, right? Like that's the reality. Um, so I loved the rep because there was some instigation here and I disagree with the commentator that Andy Ellis had the right to get his own back. Um, yes, it was a cynical coming in from the side and playing the nine penalty, but, um, there wasn't any harm done in that thing. And there could have, there was almost harm done after that because he tried to instigate something. Um, so I loved it. Some people didn't, but just just cut yeah. the shenanigans off. And if you think that he did your nine poorly, then maybe tackle their nine hard. Like that's sort of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, also, I also feel like we've seen in seasons past where we see more cards in the in the first half of the season as opposed to the second half of the season because the refs are trying to set a tone you know, going into the second half and going into the postseason and whatnot. Um, so maybe, yeah, it's just kind of to try to impose that the whole idea that ruck justice is not exactly going to be <laughs> ruck justice. I, I feel like <laughs> is, is mischaracter. I mean, he grabbed the guy's jersey while on his own back. I mean, it's not like he spiked him or he punched him. I mean, oh, you know, justice, it's not like, it like inside a ruck. I'm just saying like post, we often see refs, Turn a call over, um, because the, the the side he awards the penalty to is mouthy. So basically, that's what happened here, and it happened apparently right in front of the ref. I mean, I can't think of a time I've seen a card for someone being mouthy, though. I, I mean, no, no, no look, not a card, but oh, he they reversed the penalty, which is basically what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I'm okay with the concept of double yellows. I'm okay with. I, I love the idea of getting a card to someone who instigates a fight for whatever reason. 
I mean, I think if we're getting out for jersey grabbing, there's really going to be a lot of yellows. I mean, is there any game where people won't grab each other's jerseys like 10 times? I mean, even in this game, right after Andy Ellis grabbed a jersey, like seven other players came in and grabbed each other's jerseys. Well, I mean, that was the, that was, low bar that was the, the that was sort of his point was, hey, stop. Um, you guys started this fracas. You're both going off. Um, yeah, you guys started it by you having a legal hit and you being a small person that was smushed. I mean, it's not – I don't think they were equally at fault here. Uh, what I would have loved – and this – not in this situation because this was far worse – was when Paul Asike got a red for stamping on someone's back when the dude literally – when the ball was across the pitch – and the dude would lit- was literally would not let go of Paul Asike's leg in the ARC. Like the yellow should have clearly been gone. Like the 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 dude instigated getting kicked on the back. Like he didn't get kicked on the skull. I've seen it, whatever. But and that was like three years ago now. But I just remember this so much because Paul Asike got red, but his ACL could have been torn by this. D- Jerk off. It's self-defense at that point. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. But yeah. Um, I, I I do want to make a suggestion to the Seattle Seawolves marketing team, though. Um, I I propose that you make a Rucky the Seawolf uh comic book and call it Ruck Justice. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and have him fight crime and shit. That would be great. That would be great. I, I, I do need some royalties for intellectual property uh in exchange. Every, but, you know, absolutely every edition. This sent to uh every print edition sent to the poach's house <laughs> exactly. uh, signed, of course by my rocky and the artist oh my, my, my parents actually just sent all my star wars comics from massachusetts and i'm so happy i'm, I'm gonna be organizing them tomorrow but um yeah all right so yeah that was i you rarely see double yellows and i wish especially in some of the the international games where they get a little out of hand I wish you'd see them more. So I think this is the second time I've seen a double yellow, but eh, you know, this is great. This, yeah, <laughs> done, done. Um, all it, it could feature all the mascots. Rucky's like Leonardo, right? And, uh, all the mascots, oh, yeah, the crime fighting oh. team, the rugby network. You done? <laughs> this time has to oh, I'll do the boys acting. Play. Let's go. Uh, but uh, so moving on to this week, uh, you know, Seattle at Toronto. Uh, you know, it's it's really going to be interesting if JP Smith. LA, LA at Toronto. LA at Toronto. All right. Did I? What? No, no, no. Oh nope. Sorry. Nope, nope. No. Seattle at Toronto and Atlanta. Dude, okay. can't even read the script right. Uh, but uh, you know, Seattle. This is a must-win game for Toronto, straight up. Uh, and it's a winnable game for Toronto, I think, too, uh, in, in a lot of ways. But I know that Seattle, the Seawolves are going to be up, and especially if – I think if J.P. Smith is available, obviously he's probably in concussion protocol um, after um, the vicious sort of, I guess, like a lot of people are saying some things. I don't know. All I know is – his head hit the turf and went like this. Ba-bong. So let's just talk about that. And um, but and that that was that was enough to like the, whether he was like hit 
in the tackle, I don't not gonna really say. Uh, I don't really. I've watched it a bunch of times, and I would say I can't really conclude that. But I could also say that there was definitely contact with the neck and uh, with um, the high tackle safety framework. It's automatically a red anyway, so I really don't care. So that would have if it had been. So I, I'm not saying anything was missed, but I know that you know there was probably mitigation applied and. You know, I'm not even going to get into it. But um, if J.P. Smith is available and they get some other guys back, I think that they can present a very difficult matchup for Toronto. Um, I think especially with a healthy front row with Metro back and then both F.P. Pelzer and Reno Herbst, uh, their, their scrum uh, really gets solidified. Their set piece really gets solidified, and they have some high work rate locks and then you have Nakai Penny and Richard Hatting who can just hit rocks and go after balls and um they'll present something that's very difficult. Uh, but if JP Smith is not available that reduces a playmaker in the back line. Uh and well if anyone watched like just one guy Manuel Montero for the Toronto he cut up uh, L.A. You know, 140 meters made, try, um, kicked a little bit, um, had a bunch of line breaks and tackle breaks. He played very well. Um, and I, I thought their scrum did very well against L.A. And then uh, in the breakdown, uh, you you have Rumball and you have Cellini and – it's it, it will be interesting, but I, I would give Toronto the edge five points. Uh, I, I agree. This is a must win for Toronto. Um, and I can, I can definitely see how they're probably going to play pretty hard. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought Seattle showed some decent improvement uh, last week. So I'm going to go Seattle minus three. I mean, Seattle needs to win this too. Yeah. Like, Straight up. I mean, it, you know, whoever I think is going to win, obviously, is going to lose. Because uh, <laughs> that's too will bear out. So, I mean, my instinct is to say Toronto is going to win. Um, so, I, if I'm smart, I'll probably pick Seattle on Super Brew. But I, I'm going to go with Toronto. I just think, um, yeah, they've at least shown a real high ceiling this year. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think they're, they're home. Uh, Seattle is not Seattle. More importantly, is not home. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is a good. This is a great one. If you are on the west, if you're on West Coast time, uh, you better not drink much on Friday night. If you drink adult don't beverages, don't tell me what to do. And if you don't drink adult beverages, but you like ice cream, uh, you better not eat a lot of ice cream. And if you like candy, you better not eat a lot of candy because this game is seven thirty. Don't tell me what to do. This game is seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> I'm waking yeah. up, baby. I'm I'm loving it. <laughs> so I'll take Toronto. Uh, I'll take Toronto by six. Hey, uh, so quick, guys, quick question: Who has the cooler rugby name, Lucas Rumble or Harley Davidson? I think Harley Harley this year. Lucas Rumble is not spelled like Rumble. You know, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's lovely when it's said in the announcer's Australian accent, Lucas Rumble. Uh, that's a terrible <laughs> act. And I, I, I apologize to all our Australian viewers. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Big, we're big in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so moving uh, on, um, New England New- at NOLA, Liam. Yeah. So um, kind of like we said, kind of like we said for the last game with it kind of being a must win for both Toronto and Seattle. I feel like both New England and NOLA, they're trying to prove that they're the real deal, but trying to prove that they're the real deal for different reasons. I feel like New England came into this season with uh, with a lot of people expecting them to be mediocre. They, the last two weeks, they put up two pretty impressive wins. Meanwhile, NOLA came into their season with people kind of picking them to, you know, possibly make the leap into being a legit, you know, shield contender. Now they're sitting at 1-1-1, one, one, and one, uh, both these teams uh, at nine points apiece. Um, into a couple of the stats, NOLA... Um, Scoring an average of 30.6 points on the season, allowing an average of 24. Uh, Meanwhile, New England scoring an average of 27, allowing an average of 21. Uh, So New England, they get a huge boost in their average points allowed thanks to a shutout of Houston um, a couple weeks back. But they've also given up the most points in a single match between the two with 42 allowed to L.A. in week one, which is less than 50, by the way, Aaron. All right. So never mind this whole first people to keep L.A. under 50 points. Um, still Nola isn't exactly averaging a ton more points this season. Um, only a difference of three there. So, uh, New England's pretty impressive goal line defense. Should it continue to perform the way it has, um, the last two weeks, then we shouldn't really expect the goal to run away, uh, with this game at any point. Should that be the ultimate result? Um, in terms of penalties, Nola is averaging 13.3, uh, penalties per game. Um, we everybody talks about Nola being how highly penalized they are. Meanwhile, New England averaging fifteen point uh, three penalties per game, uh, which kind of shocked me. But I just don't think New England's penalties have been showing up in really glaring instances uh, throughout the season as much as they have for Nola in terms of ruining opportunities. Um, but um, Nola actually only gave up four penalties last week to Austin, which you know was a huge surprise to me. Um, they, they still lost that game though. So I guess, you know, it's not always exactly a difference maker. Um, so here's, here's one set of stats though, that I definitely want to examine. Um, NOLA averaging, um, averaging 52% territory, New England averaging 44% territory, uh, NOLA averaging 52.3 on possession, uh, New England averaging 43%, um, on possession. Now NOLA beats New England in both possession and territory. So they'll likely put more pressure on the Jacks, but the Jacks have had that stellar goal line defense the last two weeks versus Utah and Houston, uh, which has been a major reason for their wins. So it's going to come down to whether or not Nola can actually make stuff happen in the red zone um, the way that the the New England Free Jacks uh, last two opponents uh, have just not been able to, um, because despite, despite the, you know, those decently low averages for New England, they're still sitting at a two and one record, still sitting at nine points. So teams are able to put pressure on them, but New England is bending, just not exactly breaking. Um, so I think this is going to make for an interesting game. I think it's going to come down to who can move the ball the best between the 22s. I'm going to give this one to New England minus seven, though. I like it. I like the I like the bold prediction. Uh, I, I have a fun trivia question here for you two before I make my pick. Uh, if you had to guess the top three point differentials today in MLR, who do you think the three best point differentials are? So LA. LA is number one. Um shit. New York? Nope. Not top I'm three. Gonna... What? So Nola? 
Nope, not top three. I'm going to go L.A., New England, and so Utah. England is number is New England is three, th- third best point differential in MLR right now, at least according to the Atlanta MLR website. Number two for the record is Austin. Austin. Uh, so I mean, yo, it doesn't. I don't have the feeling that New England has had a dominant opening to the season, but and maybe they played a little weaker of a schedule. But be that as it may, they have a. Uh, they they have a, a better point differential than Nola, who I think maybe is fourth. But uh, you know, I think this is going to be closer than I would have suspected coming into the season. Um, but it still is in Nola, and you know, despite the point differential, again, I don't know if this is really true. But uh, according to the MLR stats page, at least New England only has had thirty seven percent territory uh, in their game. So you know, they've been surviving with a lot of. Uh, scrambling, you know, defensive uh, stands here. And I think a lot of big Dougie Fife runs. Yeah. Away from home, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be a bridge too far. I think I'm going to get close to this. I'm going to say New England by three. (sighs) I'm sorry, Nola by three. I think I'm going, (laughs) my pick is going to be determined based on the selection. If Damian Steve, I think, I think one of the things that hurt Nola was having to slide, uh, Nicola Bursick to four uh, rather than him playing six, um, giving their scrum a little less girth and, you know, just not having nearly, um, although they tell me Bursick is one of the strongest dudes on the team, um, still a 6-2 lock last week. So I would say if Damian Stevens starts, I'm going Nola minus three. Uh, I think the tempo is enough. I think their attack is good enough. Uh, I think – especially if what New England does ends up with sort of the Utah situation where Nola ends up in inside the five, in the red zone inside the 22 a lot uh, they're not getting Nola is smart enough that where they're gonna take enough points to put pressure on New England to do stuff and I think they're relatively disciplined on defense like you mentioned the four penalties against uh, Austin I'm, I'm not sure that's an anomaly. Uh, they just get their penalties in the wrong parts of the field uh, when, I guess, when the opposing team commits commits penalties. So they need to, I guess, force penalties and play better defense inside the free jacks half in order to yield some, you know, some points that way and attacking opportunities that way. It's, I think it's going to be pretty close, probably, uh, if I would say under 50 points as an over-under. Um, but... I would just say I don't I don't think New England's there yet. Maybe they are after you know that bye week. Uh, we saw uh, Rugby United New York uh, respond well after the bye week, uh, but that'll Noah also did not. So you know, obviously Rooney won the bye. Noah lost the bye. So the question is, will the two teams that had a bye last week will they will they did they win their bye? We'll find out on on on, uh, on on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but yeah, I would say Nola probably minus three is sort of where I'm at with that. Um, moving to match number three, uh, Utah at San Diego, Craig. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is another match of uh, original franchises here, uh, Western Conference matchup. Uh, you know, both of these teams are 
at risk of starting to fall away from uh, being competitive in the West. Maybe especially San Diego, but but both you know a, a San Diego win here and a Utah loss, you know Utah would be in the same boat. So, I mean, these are all must wins, I guess. It really seems that way because the season has been so volatile. But um, you know, definitely going to have a, a tight must win conference rival type feel here. Um, you know, I, I think Utah has been playing very good ball, but with a high propensity for making mistakes, especially in clutch situations when they've made a, f- a little fewer mistakes, they've won good games. They beat Austin um, who's looked great ever since. Uh, I think they probably had the highest point score against Austin, um, but you know, they, they really fumbled it these last couple weeks. Uh, you know, really, really couldn't, couldn't get over the try line against new England, uh, you know, in a high percentage of opportunities. So I think it's going to be a question of can Utah, show up and execute like they've been able to on their good weeks. Um, and if so, I think they're going to win. Uh, if not, I think San Diego is still a team that can score. They still have a lot of talent. Sam Wuching is having a great year uh, so far. He's just slimmed down. You know, really, he's been a really aggressive runner. Obviously, Peterson's back. I don't know. I don't think Patty Ryan is back this week, right? Um no, he's not that he's not coming in until the second half, so probably uh their last game at Carson and or maybe their first game at Torero in June. So yeah. Yeah. So um, but, scrum's, scrum's been a, a struggle for San Diego this year, and I, they really need Patty Ryan back. Um but so I mean all told, I think you know, tough one to call, but I'm gonna say Utah is not going to go three straight weeks. Uh, you know, f- you know if, if their execution is a coin flip, I don't think they're going to get tails three weeks in a row. So I'm going to say Utah by five. Yeah, I think this this is uh, Utah's get right game. I think their defense is strong enough. Um, and the, the, the interesting thing will be their attack. But obviously, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, they were able to beat the brakes off of Toronto. Um, and I don't think, based on what uh, San Diego did on defense against Houston, that it's going to be enough. Uh, I think it, it could be relatively close, um, but I, I would just – I with the way and the attitude I'm seeing out of Utah, I, I think they'll get the win here, and it's probably minus five. Aaron keeps copying my um, lines. I'm going to – I'm going to go against the grain again uh, on this one. Um, to me, San Diego is kind of look like an, looking like an 8-8 eight and eight, uh, sort of outfit this season. Uh, so I think it kind of only makes sense to kind of go every other on this one. And um, I think they, they have enough talent. You know, they kind of have the, the alpha competitors on their squad to want to bounce back after a loss, especially one that came down to two points on a kick. So I think San Diego rebounds just barely on this one, uh, minus two. They lost Rob Shaw with a uh, dislocated shoulder last week. I thought that uh, just attitude-wise and leadership, he brought something production. Um, I, I don't think they're going to miss his relatively the production because they have other back rows that can that can bring that. But the presence, I think they'll the on the field they're going to miss because uh, they're missing a lot of like leaders that they previously had, and that's one of the things that Patty Ryan will bring when he. Uh, gets in country and is cleared to play. So right. moving on to um, 
LA at Houston, Liam. Awesome. It's funny how I always seem to get New England and Houston to cover on this show. <laughs> anyway. I, mean, I thought I thought because you worked for both those teams, maybe I would just do it that way. Maybe, you know. <laughs> hey, man, it, it works for me. It, it works for me. Anyway, so L.A. sitting at 3-0, 15 points on the table. Houston sitting at 500, 2-2, 9 points on the table. Um. Clearly, one of these teams is the alpha. I don't exactly want to call the other one the beta, but one is definitely the, the leader of the pack here in the league, and it's not Houston. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, L.A., uh, guys, what do, what do you think L.A. is averaging for points this season? 45. I want to say 41. 45 and 41. 47.3 per game average for the L.A. Not, not saying their team name, for the, for the team from Los Angeles these, this season. Uh, the LA Loyals? The yeah, LA Loyals? <laughs> yeah, the, the LA Loyals, exactly. Uh, Houston's average, just 16 points, thanks to the two back-to-back goose <laughs> eggs. So, a wee bit of a disparity there. Meanwhile, LA is averaging 16 points allowed uh, oh, <laughs> on the season. Um, or, 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 sorry, 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 I'm, I, I just read the, the, the wrong line. A- LA is averaging 23 points allowed. All right, so not quite 16, sorry. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Houston is, is uh, allowing an average of 28.5 points. So not a huge disparity there, actually. Um, so he, so Houston, again, they put up the, uh, the, the two big goose eggs, so that kind of gave them the edge in that. Um, LA has just been has been blowing out just about every, every single team uh, that they go up against. So those numbers aren't exactly surprising. Now so, for the yeah, so go ahead. yellow is usually like a try and a half, so like ten points, and for LA it's it's three it's three converted tries. Yeah, exactly. So, and no, no, so he, so here's where Houston might be able to win the battle. So LA is averaging twelve point six penalties uh, per game, while Houston is averaging thirteen point two five. Now, this is the area that Houston is going to want to win if they want to have any chance in this game because the margin for error in terms of scoring opportunities is going to be as close to zero for them as they can even get in rugby. Uh, Houston has, a find, has to find a way to frustrate L.A. into giving them some of those freebies. But if the two shutouts tell us, tell us anything, though, capitalizing on any of those freebies from penalties is going to be an even bigger mountain for Houston to climb. Um, in terms of territory... Um, car- carrying meters and possession. Here's something that's wicked surprising. Houston is leading in all three. Houston uh, averaging 54.5% uh, percent territory, LA averaging 52.3%. Carrying, Houston averaging 715, LA averaging 704. Possession, Houston averaging 54, LA averaging 50. So the fact that Houston leads LA in, in every single one of those categories is mostly a testament to the fact that they've had to play from behind in two large deficit deficits so far this season, along with the fact they've also played one more game than LA. Houston's at four games so far this season. LA's only at three. I think that um, makes Houston a favorite. I don't know if you guys exactly <laughs> legit. So I don't want I don't want I don't want, I don't want to take anything away from, from Houston's victories because they were pretty impressive showings against Seattle and San Diego. But also, let's face it, those two victories would have been a lot more impressive in 2018. Um, <laughs> but either way, if Houston can translate those numbers to the pitch this Saturday and they win the aforementioned penalty battle, I don't see any reason why they can't you know, crank up the pressure enough to eke out a win in, in some universe. But I don't <laughs> think it's going to be happening in this universe. 
because uh, like I've been saying, I think LA, LA's offense is the most fluid and consistent in the game, uh, in the league uh, at the moment. And that's more than enough to make up for a few defensive lapses that tend to happen for them um, in the second half. So I'm going to go, I'm going to actually put a scoreline on this one. LA 31, Houston 20. So LA minus 11. I'm going to say LA by 30. <laughs> Jesus, man. So here's the thing about like my bold predictions. I, I think I picked on Super Brew over Seattle, LA by like 27. And that didn't happen. It was pretty close. I think it was like 26. But like I literally thought that they were just going to – they scored 50 points, but I thought they were going to – it was like 54, 56. But they were going to – like the margin would be 50 points. Uh, as much as I, I love Houston and the guys – a lot of the guys there and that I think this was sort of a, a page turn, they're, they're running into a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. Like – this is like this is you know some lumberjacks taking like chainsaw well taking a buzzsaw, putting those redwoods and you know in the lumber yard and just cutting through a redwood tree, uh, you know at, at the sawmill, and that, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna go on here. And I don't think I think if they bring the attack that they brought last week and. They have the tempo. It's not going to be a goose egg. But I would say 20 points. Eh. Eh, no, 18 points. Minus 18 LA. I, th- I think if, if Houston can find some defense, I think they'll score some points. But I, I don't think that they will get close in this game. You're, you're not even – You're not even – You're going to have to find a lot of defense. Yeah, you're not flirting with the idea find, of victory. Are they going to find the England national team in the locker room at Aviva? <laughs> uh, against the against the team that can beat the Waratahs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so yeah. Um, moving on, uh, Atlanta at Austin. Uh, man, I think Austin could do this. Like defensively, I, I think their defense is legit. Where they're having trouble is with their attack, I, but I do think that they are getting continuity uh, the last couple of matches with uh, Mac Mason and Pele Cali as their halfback pairing and uh, Will McGee playing fullback. I think they've had really good success with that, and I think Will McGee has had a very good game, very good games, stretch of games at fullback where he's able to you know really press with the territory game and sort of control the game from the back. Um, sort of similar, like I thought he had a similar game to Ben Foden really, uh, this last week. Um, but, uh, Atlanta has a lot of talent, man. And I don't think, I think this is going to be close, but, and maybe the edge is to the home team. Uh, I know that Austin is getting a bunch of guys back. I know that Atlanta has been dealing with some injuries, but I think they're going to get some guys back too. So, if you can have Howe play with the tempo and the tenacity that he played with, uh, you know, the first couple of weeks that he was available, then Atlanta has a shot here. But if we saw, like, if they play the territory game and they use that 
they use the same sort of game plan that New York had, and their kick chase is good, then Atlanta's going to need to find a way to exit. And this is where Xander Van, Schalk, Van Skalfike didn't really bring um, to the table is he didn't – their back three last week did not have the ability to exit. Like the only person – like Van Vucht, uh was all right uh, last week, but he didn't get any real help. Um, so if – and I think with the way the scrum is going and the set piece is going for Austin – uh, they have a shot here to probably win by five to by seven to ten points, but um, just I I really think that Atlanta's gonna you know get ready and it's gonna be a tough game. It could be even low scoring, similar to how it was low scoring in Nola, but I don't think there's gonna be near. It's not gonna suck nearly as much, and probably say Austin by three, something like seventeen fourteen. This is what I'm looking at. Yeah. Atlanta is such a hard team to gauge. You know, there's some games where they look like a top three team in the league. And then there's some games where you're just like mediocre ish. Um, I, my, my gut is telling me Austin uh, right now. There's something about them feels a little bit more complete, a little bit more cohesive. Um, I think they have some players that are really starting to emerge in particular Rod waters. You know, I know I am a bit biased in that, but uh, so I'm going to go Austin minus Austin minus five. Both picked Austin. Now I'm thinking about changing my thought. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with what with, with both uh, Aaron and Liam said. I think, you know, defensive battle coming here. Um, ultimately, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if Atlanta has enough to get through the creamsicle wall. Uh, I think um, I do, I guess what concerns me about Austin is I think, New York showed the, the best strategy for Atlanta is not to try to carry the ball up the guts, work it down the field. It was more, you know, kick for territory, try to play that game and, and take advantage of mistakes in small spaces. And I think they're really going to have to rely on Will McGee and, and uh, you know, the, the back row for, or the back line for Austin to kick the ball accurately. But I think they're in Austin Will McGee, you know, that is a, a, a feature of Will McGee's game. Surprisingly poor tackler for a team with such a great uh, defensive performance so far. Uh, but, you know, I guess everyone doesn't have everything. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, – I'm really torn. I'm going to say uh, – I'm going to say awesome by three. All right. Moving on to the final pick, uh, which is a game on Sunday, thank gosh, because there are two – there are three games in the same window – uh, on Saturday, are we but, ever going uh, to get a, a a rugby red zone? You know, for for overlapping games. Yeah, come on, rugby yeah. network. Uh, we're, we're giving you such great content. We got we got, rugby we got red zone. One of the call like rugby inside the twenty two. Exactly inside the twenty two. Yeah, I think we inside twenty two. That Rick Meyer and I uh, crossed paths at the uh, NBA World Cup back in uh, twenty thirteen. Wow, Did you say NBA World Cup. Yeah. MBA. MBA. Master of Business Administration World Cup. (laughs) Um, So uh, final game of the weekend. uh, And I talked to Dan Hollinshead yesterday. So this one could get tasty because uh, Dan Hollinshead and uh, 
some of the boys uh, down in uh, down at Old Glory. They know each other. They're like, as they, as we as our parents used to say, like bosom bodies. Like uh, him and Jason Robertson uh, played on the same minor ten team. And Jason oh, no, Robertson's expected not the same minor ten team, but the same club. So and different minor ten teams, but they they're from the same club. And then uh, Mungo Mason was his was his first fifteen captain. So um, you know, I, I wonder, given like how intense on the pitch Mungo Mason is, how much he's going to try and put Dan Holland into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so I, you know, I, I love these conference matchups, especially when the teams are similarly placed in the table. And I think this is another good one this week of, uh, you know, two teams in the Eastern conference looking to, you know, uh, put a stake there towards the top of the table. Um, you know, obviously New York kind of a good win this is their first home game out in, in New Jersey. Um, but like you said, Jason, you know, goes, goes away back. Dan Holland goes away. He's back with Jason Robertson. Who's back this week, uh, which is going to be a big lift for DC. Um, you know, I, this is, a, I'm almost like tempted to call a draw here. Um, that would be an insane pick. I'm not, I'm not quite prepared to do that. Uh, I just, uh, I think the key for New York is going to be, uh, stopping that inside game. They've, they've got to find a way to contain Tusitala, uh, and just this, you know, the attack right off the back of the scrum, you know, Fana, Fana shoots as well. Um, it's not something they've really been tested with yet this year. Um, but yeah, first home game. Um, and I've, I've picked every New York game wrong this year so far, but I'm going to say New York by three. I'm going to go DC minus three going on the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, I'm still not entirely convinced that DC's set piece, um, you know, is, is, is running at a hundred percent, but at the same time, I think, They've showed uh, some really good fluidity and flow out on the line um, in terms of their passing game. And I think New York's defensive shift at times is a little bit slow. Um, and, and like you said, the uh, you know the attack by guys like Paana on a Schultz out of the scrum is, is is definitely worth keeping an, uh, an eye on. So, yeah, D.C. minus three. I, oh, I mean, after that performance by New York, I kind of – if they play the same type of game um, – just by like comparative analysis, they should be able to beat the brakes off of, um, off of DC. But uh, I, I'm not sure if Robertson's thumb is going to be, you know, good to go. I know he, he based on what the the chat amongst the boys is, is like uh, he's going to play, and I, I don't know if he's if it's really fully healed. So if you're, you know, if you if you're Dan Holland said you're wanting um, Ben Bonasso and, you know, Kara Pryor to run him over. Um, so uh, maybe get some Chavetta action in there too. But um, it's, it's, it's a difficult pick to make because I have no idea. Um, however, if they play the same kicking game, um, which is the differences, I think, uh, that DC has some guys that can exit, and the interesting no Doug Fraser this week. Uh, oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be a problem, right? So, 
the interesting thing about like how how much kicking happens in Major League Rugby, um, what I like how much like there's a lot of kicking that happens in Major League Rugby. I don't really get annoyed at it because I it doesn't seem aimless, which a lot of European games get aimless. Whereas I think the chase in Major League Rugby is good enough or is fast or it appears to be fast enough where guys are actually trying to collect the ball. Whereas most of the time in, in the Irish provinces, when you see that a lot, it's, it's just boring. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I think I'm just going to default here to the home team and go uh, New York probably f- minus four. Um, we do have some questions this week, so uh, start with. Um, I guess we need to do a, a, a finals poll because we do. We got two. Uh, we got two options in the poll for the battle of the guilds, <laughs> but we'll uh, f- we'll figure that out. Um, but let's go with. Uh, let's look at man. I scrolled too far. Where are we at? So for questions, uh, Martin Collin, um, at Martin Collin on Twitter, uh, do my arrows stand a chance this year or are they going to die a slow, painful death? Um, I think they still got a chance this year. Uh, The pieces are there. I I think especially like now that all of their South Americans are like fully into the team, uh, especially like Montero and Tukule, uh, they've, they've got a real shot. Um, because I thought that team that they put out uh, on Saturday against Los Angeles was – they were really good. Um, like that is probably maybe not the best arrow side. Like there might be one player you would take out and replace, but I don't know which player that would be uh, if you're asking me today. Um, but that's probably the the 1A or the 1B team that you would, you would put out. Like – and they're probably so. I think the arrows have a chance to contend for the playoffs. It's still sort of. I think the preseason is over, um, and we've seen that. Uh, just it is tough for them, but I think they've they'll be all right um, going forward. Yeah, I mean um, the season's been so volatile. I mean, how could you rule anybody out at this point? I think they've. Their odds are just fine. Just fine. Um, from Daryl Owens, uh, at Snut, the Ift, I, I, yeah, on Twitter, uh, ball security in the Ags versus NOLA was bad. I realized they didn't have a normal offseason or warm-up games, but these two teams seem to be decent form in previous games. Interested in y'all's thoughts about that and the likelihood of it continuing. Um, I mean, I tweeted about it. Gets uh, humid in the South, baby. Humidity is bad, like, and it was humid in in Nola, but the ball security in that game was atrocious. Like the amount of turnovers because guys couldn't handle the ball, and that was probably the biggest issue with with Nola was um, the week before when they had played New York and their timing was on cue. Like the timing for the when they were running their attack was completely off. It was off. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of knock-ons for both teams and, you know, wouldn't say it was lucky, but they, they Austin won at the death. 
And so sometimes it's about the mindset. Um, you know, teams put different emphasis emphasis on different things. You know, like week in and week out, you might be more concerned about your ball speed, and then, and as a result of trying to get of trying to get your line speed up, you're, you know, more of a devil devil take air, you know, um, kind of attitude um, in terms of how like you're thinking about you know making the catch and securing the ball. Um, so yeah, the, the number of factors about again, I, I think I think a lot of it is mindset and how you go into it and how you attack the passing game. Yeah, I think mean, we've talked a lot about the quality of play and lack of a preseason and everything else. You know, I actually thought this week was a step up, you know, uh, pretty much across the board in terms of overall play quality. I mean, yeah, the, the NOLA Austin game wasn't great, but I feel like that would have been, you know, among the best games quality-wise in a previous week. This week it was the worst quality probably, so – I mean, I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of improvement going into week four, so I'm I'm confident or at least optimistic that uh, you know that we're starting to see the level of play get back to where I think we were last year before the pandemic. Yeah, I think I mean the pre like first four weeks is the preseason, so if you had four games, um, there's your preseason. But if you had um, a buy, there's your preseason too. And for some teams, like the buy worked, and for some teams, the buy didn't. And I, I figured, I thought New York was going to need continuity, but they didn't um, of just playing opponents. But they also didn't take time off. They practiced that whole week. Um, so, and which is inversely what LA did, but LA was two and zero, so they didn't need they didn't need it. Um, and then, so from Life Love Rugby, uh, how soon till we see MLR teams begin playing international teams more frequently, similar to MLS teams playing Euro clubs and teams from Mexico? Honestly, I know people it start, it started to happen last season, um, you know, and I feel like the last two seasons, I think the pandemic started to kind of put a plug on well, it. So we've I, seen the Mako come. We've seen. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I just, I'm not like in the preseason as like sort of preseason fixtures. I would be interested in it. Like, other professional teams like the Mako, but or even Uruguay came and played the Sabercats in season one. So it hasn't been crazy. That was but a great game, post, too. As far as a postseason tournament is concerned, I don't necessarily care um, right, uh, right now. And especially like Slar is because of the pandemic is really behind of where it probably could be this year. They're playing in two different, they played in two different bubbles. Um, moving the entire tournament. And I, I just think that we need to, like, also get our feet, our roots in. Um, it's only season four. And that is sort of something as far as postseason sort of Champions Cup title style stuff, that's, that's, that's still years away for me. And maybe it's next year and I'll get told about it, you know, like everyone else gets told about it because, you know, no, nothing to say, Craig. Don't care. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see it. I haven't heard anything that would suggest it's about to happen. I mean, they barely are getting rugby back going from COVID, even in local domestic leagues. So, you know, uh, it seems like it's a bit far afield right now. But, hey, I'd love to see a, don't, don't hold your see like a Barbarians, uh, MLR Barbarians team go play like, a, you know, a premiership team. That would be fun, uh, honestly. Um, so here, here's a good one. Um, 
not this wasn't really a question, but did everyone else until some pictures were posted miss the Hello Tushy ad on uh the uh on the Sabercats shorts? Oh, I, I didn't oh, notice. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that until the pics post got posted. <laughs> so Hello Tushy is a bidet manufacturer. So if you uh, if you want a bidet attachment for your toilet, hellotushy.com. I feel like that's not that a lucrative a business in the United States, but hey, it might it might take off thanks to the Sabercats. I know a bunch of this podcast. Look at this free I'm, advertising. I was listening to the podcast, and dudes were talking because of quarantine and stuff. Dudes were talking about buying bidet attachments on Amazon uh, because they had no rugby, they had no sport, they were just stuck. So they're like, you know what? I've always wanted a bidet, and. Uh, I'll put it in. Um... <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> that's a that's an intense one, ski. But uh, yeah, um, so I I thought it was was cool. Um, I mean, they liked our tweets, so maybe they should sponsor us. Maybe they'll listen to us. And the final question is from Craig uh, Balumba down in uh, uh, Western Australia. So he goes. Why Why is the odds of predicting MLR outcomes like throwing a dart at a dartboard a thousand Ks away? I mean, we've discussed this at length. I think it's just uh, – I think it's just a lack of rugby for a year, you know, a long layoff. It's just the inevitable outcome is that teams are not consistent in their performance, um, and that means you're going to get unpredictable outcomes. But I, I think we're getting there. I think this week looks – Better. I, I have a feeling that starting next week, it's going to be a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, training has been has been a crapshoot for a lot of teams. Um, just getting facilities, getting you know, like like transportation. Like I think uh, I I can't exactly say what the exact record for home home teams versus away teams records are, but I'm pretty sure home teams have fared a lot better uh, thus far this season. Um, so I think travel, you know especially without uh, having had a preseason to get in shape uh, kind of takes a bit of a toll on the guys early on. But like Craig said, I think it's going to get a lot better, you know, now that 25% of the season is now gone. So, or for most teams at least. So yeah. we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I think that about rounds us up for this week. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, thanks for, for those that stuck around the whole time, uh, same time, same place. And, uh, Submit your questions. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get into those. Um, but uh, six games of rugby, uh, you know, a month ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, well, not a month and a half ago because we were in preseason and teams were in camp. But, like, probably say the first week of January, people were wondering about COVID and uh, rescheduling. And I think the league generally has done a very good job knock on wood here that we haven't lost a game yet. And the NFL lost a game in the first, like lost multiple games in like the first couple of weeks and to change um, their complete scheduling around. So I think uh, players have been pretty good about this. So uh, they, they want to play rugby and uh, you know, it's got, we're 25%. Well, I think this week will be 25% of the way there because most teams will have played their four games and, you know, um, it's been a good, and it's been a good season. I think quality is is still going up. So, um, yeah. 
Have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.